Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Isaiah 12. That's our passage today as we continue our, our series, Hope from Isaiah. Isaiah 12, today it's hope for thanksgiving. Here's the key concept this morning. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Isaiah chapter 12, I hope you have a Bible handy because we're going to need you to follow along this morning as we look at God's Word. While you find Isaiah 12, I want to tell you about a town in South Dakota. You've probably heard of it. The town's name is Wall. And Wall, South Dakota is famous for one thing, and that is its drugstore. Wall Drugs is now actually a complex of stores and restaurants and gift shops. Uh, but Wall Drugs is a drugstore that is visited literally by millions of people every year. Wall is in the middle of nowhere in South Dakota. And uh, you're not expecting a flourishing tourist attraction to be found there. But the owners of wall drugs have perfected the art of building anticipation. Literally for miles, as you travel, uh, drive across the highway in the Midwest, you see signs about wall drugs over and over again. Don't miss wall drugs. Free ice water at Wall Drugs. Five-cent coffee at Wall Drugs. See the buffalo at Wall Drugs. Get a soda at Wall Drugs. It is relentless, and it is on and on as you drive through the flatlands. And eventually, after seeing all of these signs, you just can't wait to stop at Wall Drugs. Your anticipation has been raised to a fever pitch. And literally millions of people do that every single year. Now, in our passage in Isaiah, the reason I tell you that story is because Isaiah is doing something similar for the children of Israel. He is raising their anticipation level about the blessings that are coming so that they will be thankful people. The first 12 chapters of the book of Isaiah provide a section of the book where Isaiah has been focusing on the sins and the failures of the people of Judah. He's warned them, your behavior is going to bring God's wrath. Judgment is going to come. But every once in a while, even during the drumbeat of that message, we see a counterbalancing thought emerge. And that thought is about the love and the mercy of God. And he, he emphasizes the fact that even though punishment will surely come, God's love remains. You can take heart in that. And here in chapter 12 in the, in the book of Isaiah, we see uh, Isaiah anticipating blessings to come. Read with me. We'll start in the first verse. It says this, In that day you will say, I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Isaiah is saying there's a great day coming. Anticipate that day today. Now, this morning I want to do two things with you. First of all, I want to reveal to you the interpretive questions that are raised by this passage. 
And secondly, and more importantly, I want to show you how these verses from Isaiah chapter 12 are woven into the greater fabric of the Scriptures. The, the, uh, the passage begins, in that day. What day is he talking about? Well, he uses the same phrase back in chapter 11, verse 10. So turn back there with me in your Bibles. Chapter 11, he says, In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his place of rest will be glorious. In that day the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the remnant that is left of his people from Assyria, from Lower Egypt, from Upper Egypt, from Cush, from Elam, from Babylonia, from Hamath, and from the islands of the sea in that day. Now, we know already from our study of Isaiah that when Isaiah says the root of Jesse, that's a phrase that he uses to refer to the Messiah that's coming. And he, say, he says here in chapter 11, he will hold up a banner. A banner is a symbol. A banner is a, like a flag in the city of Jerusalem. And the people of, of God will rally around that banner and gather together. Now, when these two passages are taken together, chapter 11 and chapter 12, both starting with the, the phrasing, in that day, a lot of uh, different interpretations emerge. One interpretation that emerges says that both of these sets of verses are referring to a day that we have yet to, yet to see, that we're all looking forward to, and that is the coming of Jesus Christ in His second coming. Certainly in chapter 11, we see the nations being affected by that day. We see the nations responding, the remnant of God's people mobilizing to come around Him. But that doesn't quite fit with the imagery used in chapter 12, when Isaiah's words seem to be uh, focusing on the exiles returning to Jerusalem. That leads other interpreters to, to say that, no, both prophecies are talking about the same time, but they're both referring to the return of the exiles from their captivity in 538 B.C. But that doesn't quite fit with the Messiah rallying people from all the nations around Himself. I think rather that what we have here are two days being described. One is the day when the root of Jesse, the Messiah, comes in power. He holds up a banner which will be a rallying symbol, and so the remnant of His people from all the nations will gather around Him. And the other day, the, the day that's in chapter 12, which is our focus verse today, is the day where the captives are being set free out of their exile. That day is coming for the exiles. Now, if this interpretation is correct, it means that the, chronicle, uh, the chronological order of these days is reversed. In other words, the first chronologically day is described in 12 verse 1, and the second, the arrival of the Messiah in chapter 11, and He summons His people to Himself. But for both of these coming days of blessing, the response that Isaiah is calling for from his people is anticipation. In other words, he's saying, I want you to think about these future days of blessing, and I want you to imagine those days with anticipation. Imagine what you will be saying on those days. Listen now to your voice from the future. 
And as you listen to that voice from the future, it'll fill your heart with thanksgiving today. Robert Russell writes about a house near the entrance to his cul-de-sac. And that particular house kept their Christmas lights burning last year long after the season was passed. They, they were on throughout January. They, will, they were on all through the month of February. They were on well into March. And he, he writes saying, I became a bit critical. I said to myself, if I were too lazy to take my Christmas lights down, at least I'd turn them off at night. But about the middle of March, there was a sign outside that house which explained why they left their Christmas lights on so long. And the sign said, Welcome home, Jimmy. And he learned that the family had a son in the military, and they were unashamedly leaving their Christmas lights on as a, 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 a speaking anticipation of his return. This was a part of his welcome, and they must have played that scene of his welcome over and over again in their minds. What will we do when we see Jimmy again? What will we say to him when he comes home? Isaiah is asking the Israelites to picture that day of release, to anticipate that day when the prayers of the people will be answered, when the captives will be able to return on that highway to Jerusalem. What will you do? What will you say when that day finally arrives? His answer, verse 1 again, In that day you will say, I will praise you, O Lord, although you were angry with me. Your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw a water from the wells of salvation. He continues in verse 4, In that day you will say, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on His name. Make known among the nations what He has done. And proclaim His name is exalted. Sing to the Lord, for He has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. Shout aloud and sing to the Lord, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. Now, as we dig into that chapter a little bit, and I've just read you the entire chapter, as we dig into that chapter, we find something interesting that we wouldn't pick up in English if this is all that we had. The word you in verse 1 is singular, but later on in the passage, the word you is plural. In other words, Isaiah envisions that each individual of the nation on that wonderful day will have something to say about the blessings that they're experiencing. They experience it person by person. Yes, the nation will rejoice, but a nation is made up of individuals. The blessing of freedom and salvation will be experienced individually. But then he expects they will come together. And they come together as a group. And so later on in the chapter, the you becomes plural as a group, as a collective. The people will rejoice in the salvation that they experience. And their testimony of thanksgiving, when it turns into a corporate testimony of thanks, goes out to the world. Verse 5, let this be known to all the world. 
while salvation and deliverance are gained on an individual level. Rejoicing and thanksgiving regarding that deliverance is meant to take place on a group level as well. We're meant to be a celebrative, thankful people together rejoicing in what God has done. Now that's good for us to hear and be reminded about on the verge of our Thanksgiving holiday. And why are they giving thanks? Because, first of all, God has forgiven them. In that day, you will say, I will praise you, O Lord, although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. It is an act of God's love that he forgives us. It is not a necessity for God to forgive us. He doesn't need us. But He forgives, and in forgiveness we gain more than just the, the release of the punishment. We also gain, He says here, comfort. And we can bring forward those principles and ideas to the salvation that we today experience in Jesus Christ, to the forgiveness that He gives us for all eternity. The fact that God is willing to forgive us should realign our attitudes. We should be forever grateful and amazed that God would forgive the selfish heart and bring comfort to the person who was formerly his enemy. You see, the fact is God loves the guilty, so grace is available. He does not forgive in a partial way or in a reluctant way. His forgiveness is complete, and it is acceptance, and it is comfort. And right here, we begin to see how Isaiah's statements here are woven together in the greater fabric of the Scriptures. Because I'm going to read verse 2 again, and then I want you to listen for the echo of the Song of Moses from Exodus. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and be, not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Then listen to these words from Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Moses sang these exact words as the children of Israel escaped the Egyptians through the Red Sea. Isaiah is purposefully bringing the minds uh, of the, the, the exiles back to the Exodus, back to that day when they escaped oppression. And he's doing it because he's saying to them, God will do it again. God will be for you a rescue just like he was for Moses and the children of Israel out of Egypt. But then he moves on in verse 3. He says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The wells of salvation is also a phrase connected to the Exodus. Because later in the chapter, of, 15th chapter of the book of Exodus, the children of Israel camp at Elim. And there are 12 wells or springs of water for their refreshment and for their help. In an arid and dry wilderness, water is a source of life. And it is God who provides these wells and the direction to, to get there for the children of Israel so that they can live. Water is not a luxury. It is a necessity. It is the, the gift of life. And the imagery of water, refreshing, life-giving water, is used all throughout the Scripture as a symbol for God's spiritual provision for His people. 
And here is the weaving together of this passage into other parts of Scripture. It reaches back and uses the language and the imagery of the Exodus to say to God's people, you can trust God to deliver you again. He will do again for you what He has already done. You will be rescued. You will be comforted. You will be refreshed. But this passage also looks forward. It's woven forward. In fact, in the New Testament, it is Jesus Himself who uses this image of life-giving water. In John chapter 7, Jesus is attending the Feast of the Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths. And it was, and still is today, a celebration of God's care over the nation Israel during the wilderness wanderings. But there was an element of that celebration that we don't always know about. We know about the booths and the nice little tents that they put outside and they eat there, they sleep there, and so forth. But there was every morning in Jesus' day, during the seven days of the feast, a ceremony called the water ceremony. Every morning of, these, of the days of the feast, a great procession would take place up from the, uh, from the uh, Temple Mount, the, the high priest would lead the procession down to the pool of Siloam. And be, behind the high priest would be the musicians, would be the Levites, the worshipers who would be singing and dancing and waving palm branches, that kind of thing. And when the uh, priest arrived at the pool of Siloam, he would pit, uh, take a golden pitcher and dip it in the water, and then the whole group would process back up to the Temple Mount. And when he got to the Temple Mount, the blast of the trumpet would come through three times, and the priest would shout, Isaiah 12, verse 3, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And with that, he would pour out that water on the altar. But on the last day of the feast, the details changed just a little bit. On the last day, instead of going down, picking up the water and coming back up again, shouting the verse and pouring it out, the priest would circle the altar seven times. And while the priest circled the altar before pouring out the water, the people chanted, Please bring salvation now. Please bring salvation now, over and over again. And then the priest would shout out this verse, Isaiah 12, 3, and pour the water on the altar. Now, keep all that in mind while we listen to what Jesus does in the midst of that. In John 7, verse 37, On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within him. In other words, at that pinnacle moment, in that culminating ceremony when the focus is on living water, the, the water, that's the issue, Jesus hijacks the imagery of that feast just in that moment. And He uses the reference to the wells of salvation and He points to Himself as the source of living water. As the people are shouting, please bring salvation now, He's saying, God has answered that prayer. Turn to me. In me you will find salvation. And not just wells of the waters of salvation. I will provide you rivers of living water. Now, you've got to give Jesus credit for boldness 
in that situation. He's purposefully turning the symbols of this feast and the language of Isaiah towards himself. Why? Because he knows he is the root of Jesse that Isaiah is prophesying about. Now, as we go back to chapter 12 of the book of Isaiah, and we see that the language weaves its way back to Moses, and it weaves its way forward to Jesus, Isaiah is saying, the waters of salvation are yours to enjoy. What is salvation? Well, in this context, in the immediate setting, salvation for the children of Israel is going to be escape of the exile, a return to Jerusalem. But in its broader meaning, in its broader context, salvation is more than just that. Sure, it includes escape. If we are going, we're going to reap a punishment, we're going to go, go into a situation where we, we will be, be hemmed in and imprisoned, but salvation turns that around. We escape that. But also, salvation is deliverance. It's like escape, but it, it's, there's a slight difference. It's not just escaping the bad results. Deliverance is being delivered from what brings on those bad results. So, for instance... There's a junkie on the street, and it's a cold night. If he stays out on that sidewalk, he's going to freeze to death. And so you bring him in and give him a warm place to sleep for the night. He has escaped for that night. But if you treat that addiction and you set him on a course of sobriety, and he walks that course of sobriety and is delivered, lasting deliverance is his, and he never needs to be in a place of escaping again. You see? He has been delivered. So salvation is escape, salvation is deliverance, but there's more. Salvation is also endowment. Salvation gives you something. It saves you from something, but it also saves you to something. It sets you on a path of new life with new purpose, all bathed in hope. In the situation we're looking at here, the, uh, the Israelites will walk the path of freedom back to Jerusalem one day. But they're not going back to the same life they were living prior. They're going back to a new life. They have been changed for the better. And Isaiah says, anticipate that now. So too for us. We who have been saved by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have escaped. We have been delivered. And we have been endowed. Endowed with the presence of the Holy Spirit. He gives us counsel if we would listen in terms of how to live a righteous life. He gives, gives us gifts, enablements that we can use for the glory of God. And we are now a new and improved, different version of ourselves. And what all of this should bring about is thanksgiving. And as we testify thanksgiving, something happens. Look at verse 4. In that day, you will say, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on His name. Make known among the nations what He has done and proclaim that His name is exalted. That's the testimony of thanksgiving. And when you feel gratitude inwardly, it turns into outward proclamation. That's the, the, the method. That's the, the, the root of thanksgiving. And here, once again, we see Isaiah weaving Scripture into Scripture because he's actually quoting the Psalms there. Psalm 105, verse 1, says the same words. Give thanks to the Lord, call on His name, make known among the nations what He has done. See, what Isaiah is saying to the people is this. 
This is already in your hymn book. This is already in your songbook. I want you to sing it again. I want you to anticipate singing it again. And when you anticipate singing that again in your deliverance, you will become a thankful people. And when you are a thankful person, you proclaim, you publicize your thanks, you make Him known. And also, as you are a thankful person, you don't just talk about God, but you talk to God in words of worship and praise. Look at verse 5. Sing to the Lord, for He has done glorious things. Let this be known to all the world. See, it radiates out to the world, but it also is something we sing directly to the Lord. When we sing praise and worship, even here on Sunday mornings, we are singing to an audience of one. Worship is attributing worth to God. He's the one listening. He's the one it's all about. And in His wonderful organization of the way the church and, and the, the glories of God work together, God has organized the economy of worship in such a way that when the people of God praise God, it echoes back to us as blessing. That's the cycle of worship. The echo comes back to us and we feel the blessing in our heart. And the voice of thanksgiving starts it all. And the results of thanksgiving, big picture, is the world will know. You see, praising people affect the world. Thankful people affect the world with the message of hope that is embedded in our praise. Isaiah says, this is your voice from the future. But for us, the future is now. For salvation has come. Jesus Christ is ours. One day He will raise the banner in Jerusalem, but right now that banner flies in our heart. So shout for joy. Give Him praise. Speak your thanksgiving. Make His glory known. And what will happen is you will affect the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You that we are able to be a voice for praise and thanksgiving in a world that sometimes seems very cynical. But Lord, we're the antidote to that cynicism. We are the ones who know that there is a good and loving God who works mercy for His people. So Lord, help us spread the word. Help us raise the praise and bless us as we do it, for we are thankful to You. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. The team is back to lead us in a closing song. Let's sing together. Let's sing of our thankfulness, church, to the Lord.
Well, I hope you tune in uh, with us Wednesday evening at 6.30 when we pick up this theme of gratitude and thankfulness, and I know that you'll be blessed. So thank you for joining us today. Thanks for tuning in. Let's end with a word of prayer. Lord, we give you glory, we give you thanks, and we end this service where we, begun we began just rejoicing in all that we have in Jesus. So help us to represent you well in the week ahead. Use us for your glory, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in.